Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Success in Accounting. Sponsored by Dext. Welcome to the Influencers in Accounting podcast with me, Rob Brown. Here with special guest, Dr. John Finn. Good day, John. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? We're doing fantastic. John, it's such a pleasure to have you on this show with a topic that people talk about, but nobody really understands. You are the author, and I'm holding up here for the video of the habit mechanic so i'm going to ask you in a minute to tell us a little bit about your world and how you came to write this book and then we're going to dive into it but for the accounting professionals listening just a little bit of context we are in a busy crazy world with high amounts of vuca we'll go into that term today and doing your job is tough we appreciate the pressures that you are under and we're here with an expert to talk you through it all and hopefully give you some solutions on a two-part series we're doing one to talk about the issues and to, to talk about how to put it all right. So, John, official warm welcome. For people that don't know, you haven't come across your book, tell us a bit about you and your world. Yeah, so when I was 18, I went to university to study sports science. I was studying physiology, psychology, motor control, nutrition, and I got really interested in the sports psychology piece. I was a decent rugby player, and I had a very high-profile case of choking under pressure, which meant that I didn't get selected to play against Australia in a student international uh, match. And that um, got my attention, that that incident, because I can very clearly remember myself saying, don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball. And of course, I mean, I didn't even drop the ball, I just missed, completely missed the ball. The opposition scored, I got substituted. And at that time, I'd ruptured one of my quads in around that time, so my ability to train to the intensity that you need to train to play high level rugby was really diminished. So I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do that. So for me, the next best thing was become an expert performance psychologist and help other people to be at their best. So I went to do masters. My career started in professional sport, working in elite football, rugby union, rugby league, cricket, golf. And I just got more and more interested in what is it, you know, what makes a difference between you being at your best and not being at your best and did a PhD in that area. And it was very clear to me, the more I dug into this, that knowing what you wanted to do was very different from being able to do it. I knew that I shouldn't be telling myself, don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball. And many people listening right now know that it's a good idea to walk 10,000 steps today and, and to eat five portions of fruit and veg in day. Yet the NHS is still spending um, tens of billions every year on diseases that emerge because people don't do those things. Just for our international listeners, NHS, our National Health Service, but uh, we have listeners all over the world, John, and uh, you're alluding here to some of the parallels between high-level sports performance and high-level business performance. There are a lot of examples to be taken from both that could across each other. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the habit mechanic is... That took me, the, the book took me over 20 years to write. So it's only been published recently. So it's everything that I've learned about helping people to be at their best. I, I started in in sport, went into education and went into business. And we work in all those areas now. We work with some of the biggest businesses in the world. We work with high growth startups. We work with Premier League football managers. We work still in education. So our brain is designed to work in a certain way. And whether you get paid to score goals on a Saturday afternoon or to be as efficient and effective as possible to give your customers the best possible service, those operating rules are the same. So if you understand how your brain works and you have some simple and practical ways to make it work even better so that you can be healthy or happy and at your best more often, then life just gets a lot easier. How much do we really know about the brain, John? I'm a stroke survivor, so I had a brain hemorrhage at one point and got quite into 
words like neuroplasticity and dendrons and nerve endings and things like that. But is it still a, a very unknown quantity for even the top professionals? We know a lot more about the brain in the last 20 or so years than we've known before. I think we have a very good gist understanding of how the brain works. You know, one of the first stories I talk about in the book is Roger Bannister and the sort of training that he needed to do to run uh, the the mile in four minutes. What many people don't know about Roger Bannister is that as well as training to be a medical doctor at Oxford, he was also a research scholar. So in the 1940s, he had people who came into the laboratory and he had got them on treadmills and he was measuring what I'd call peripheral peripheral indices. He was measuring how much oxygen they were consuming, how much carbon, carbon dioxide they were spitting out. They were able to do very accurate, accurate physiological measurements as, as far back as the 1930s and 1940s. Up until about 20 years ago was the first time we could actually see inside the human brain. So understanding of the human brain is way behind the physiological sciences. But we've had the tech now to look inside it for over 20 years and we have a good gist understanding of how it works. As you say, we know it's designed, it's, it's made up of about 100 billion neurons. So neurons are like plasticine and they're, they, they're changing according to what you practice. That's what the, the word neuroplasticity means, is that your brain is like plasticine and neurons are like plasticine and they're changeable. We know the brain's number one operating room is to save energy. It's an energy conservation device because for most of our existence, energy has been a really scarce resource. So that's why our brain turns everything it can into a habit. We know our brain, because habits are really efficient ways to do things. And habits are not just what you do, they're how you think as well, which I'm sure we'll get into. We know that our brain is, is wired for threats and survival so that we are magnetized towards problems and worries and, and stresses and strains. So we've, we've got some really good understandings of the principles of how brains work, yet we pretty much use none of that understanding in helping people to do better, which is perverse. We use all that we use first principle understanding if you want to get fitter, physically fitter. We use it to make um, cars go faster. We use it to make batteries for electric cars. But we do we're not using those insights at all in order to help us to to essentially do everything in our lives better. So, do we know how the brain works? Yeah, I think at a gist level, we, we've got some really compelling sets of data. Do we use those insights to help people to do better? Very few and far. People working in this space use that. I would say that the hyper mechanic approach is unique in that it's built on robust science and how your brain actually works. And that's why it's so powerful and impactful. And for people like accountants, there's a lot of businesses you deal with, John. Super smart, super technical, brains the size of the moon. Very intelligent, highly academic. You would think that if anyone had a brain that works properly would be these people. So talk to us a little bit about the gaps in performance where super smart people still don't have peak performance in their roles. We're not as smart as we think we are. I've got three degrees, <laughs> right. including a PhD. I'm not as smart as I think I am because most of what I'm doing most of the time is mindless automated behavior. And when I say most, that's toggling between 98% to 100%. Sometimes 100% of what you do and think is automatic. You you know, people say, I couldn't think straight. Uh, I wasn't really thinking about it. Instinct take over. You get that idea. And then when you're at your best, you've only got 2% conscious thinking. That's Most right, of what yeah. we do and what we think, how you make an opinion about me so far is based on bias. It's based on, so, so your belief systems, your biases are subconscious. They're mindless. We spend more time rationalizing why we did what we did and, you know, thinking it through in the first place. So all the things that we're really good at, that's automated behavior. If you think about when you first trained to be an accountant, a lot of the things that 
were really difficult to do. They're super easy now because you've built loads of neurons in your brain to do those things. And the same when at some point, if, if you can now drive at some point you couldn't. So you had driving lessons. And I think this is the this is the challenge when we use the word habit. People think of habits as physical things that they do. They think of bad habits. Habits are pretty much everything that you're doing right now because most of what we're doing most of the time is subconscious, mindless behavior. Habits are just automatic or semi-automatic behaviors. I've heard that we have hundreds of not maybe not hundreds of thousands of thoughts a day, but we have so many thoughts a day, 99% of which we had yesterday. So it is repeated behavior, isn't it? Yeah, most of we're not conscious of either. So we're only conscious of what's in our short-term memory, in our story, in our prefrontal cortex, where the short-term memory lives. This, So this is how smart we are. We think we're, we're super smart, super intelligent. The prefrontal cortex can hold between five to seven bits of information at a time, about as long as an old phone number. And you can only hold a piece of information in your short-term memory for about 30 seconds, unless you start repeating it. So even for accountants who are good with numbers, see how many of these numbers you can remember. Just I'm gonna, I'm gonna say some numbers out, out loud now, see how many you can remember. Two, five, seven, eight, 12, 37, 89, 1002, 1023, 87, 93, 82, 47, 58, 62, 73, 94. You get the point. That's your short-term memory overloaded. And I did it in about 10 seconds. We have a tiny bit of consciousness here. Everything else has been driven by automatic behavior. So the challenge that we face is that human beings have been around for over 300,000 years. We've evolved, we've evolved for survival. And it looks like we're designed to do two things. One is to move around. So anthropologically, it looks like we're designed to walk about 12 miles a day, which sounds absolutely perverse in 2022. But if you go back to London about 100 years ago, people on average walked about 10 miles a day. So we're designed to do about 12 miles a day and we're designed to, to move around and solve problems. Problems, first of all, relating to survival. So we're really designed to control our environment. So if we fast forward into the, and, and, and to save energy, if we fast forward into the 21st century, into 2022, into the VUCA world, the supercharged VUCA world, many people don't even leave their house every, you know, in a day, never mind walk 12 miles. We are now doing absolutely sedentary jobs where we sit at a computer. We are asked to change the technology we are getting bombarded by news feeds, by social media feeds, because we live in the attention economy where our attention is commoditized and monetized. So what humans are designed to do is very, very different from what we get asked to do every day. We are designed to learn something and automate it, and that's it. Now, for many tasks that I used to pay, have to pay an accountant to do, I can just buy some software now that automates that. That's absolutely real. So what humans now get valued for is their ability to do conscious, clever, high-charge work, what we call high-charge work. That's harder than ever to do. And increasingly, the task that you used to be able to bill your time for, someone's disrupted that and they've automated it and they've built a te technology platform like Sage to be able to replace that. So what, what we get rewarded for now is the ability not to do habitual work, but to use that 2%, that precious 2%, and to use it um, consistently every working day. So we've almost got to build our working lives around that. And I can, I can get into more details around that. Sure. We're talking about habits here, aren't we? Because if everything's habitual, John, if everything's structured, if everything's in the subconscious mind, if everything's repeated, then we become a function of our habits, our performance, our success levels become what we, we become what we do a lot of, don't we? So just define VUCA for us, John, you mentioned the term and, and I'm familiar with it, but our listeners might not be. And then I'm going to ask you to define the word habit. So we're absolutely clear what we're talking about. Yeah. So VUCA is a a term originally coined by the American military stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world. It's just talking about 
a world where the only constant is change. The change is getting faster and faster and faster. And that's been supercharged by the pandemic. You know, people rapidly moving from work, going to the office every day to work, to now working from home, to now communicating through video uh, technology. So, the, so the, the volume of change is at a pace that we haven't seen before. You know, my grandparents were working in the factory when they were 14 years old. And once they'd learned to do their sort of professional jobs in their late teens, early 20s, they didn't have to learn too much more. They had nine to five jobs. They didn't take any work home with them. They had no way of communicating back into work once they were at home. That, that model isn't so far in, in, in the past. And the way that we work now is absolutely different. So our brain, we've got a brain that's designed to save energy. It doesn't like changing all the time. It doesn't like having to relearn and relearn and relearn. But that's what we're getting asked to do. It doesn't like to deal with high volume of stress, but that's what we're being asked to do. So when you, when you put a brain like ours in a world where the only constant is change, what you get, whether you're a child, a teenager or an adult, is more people than ever before reporting that they don't feel very well, they're not doing very well, which makes absolute sense when you look at how our brain is designed and what the world, modern world is doing to us. And all, all, all the word habit means it's an automatic or a semi-automatic behavior. The behavior is, could be a, you saying to yourself, you're rubbish, you're useless, that's a behavior. The behavior could be um, how you type on the keyboard. It could be um, what you have for your breakfast. It just the behavior is just what you think and what you do. It's just a way of measuring that. So automatic or semi-automatic. How do habits define, John, the way we go about our daily work? Because there are loads of different situations, different clients call up, different jobs need doing, different emails come in. So are we trying to put habits around those things that people would see as quite different and unique? Yeah, so there's only 24 hours in a day. That's all That's all we've got. And you can think of the day as a bit like a barcode. So, but think of instead of a black and white barcode, think of a blue and red barcode. So there are some blue lines in the 24-hour period. That's times in the day when you're doing things that are, that are helping you to be at your best. They're helping you to be healthier, happier, and high-performing. There are also red lines. That's times in the day when you're doing and thinking things that are making it more difficult for you to be healthy, happy, and at your best. So there's an optimal set of habits that we can develop to help us to optimize that 24-hour period. And to help us to understand that, we need to dig a bit deeper into how our brain works. So we like to think of the brain as a bit like a battery. So we have a battery brain. There's only so much charge in it in any 24-hour period. And there are three charge states. One is recharge. One is medium charge. One is high charge. So recharge is where you're relaxing, switching off. You could be sleeping as well. So you've got sleep and non-sleep recharge. In any 24-hour period, you need to spend some time doing recharge. The medium charge brain state is one that you can use to do automatic, semi-automatic work. So very habit work. So some emails that you have, just quick replies. You don't have to think too much about it. Some tasks that you're doing every day, your busy work, the sort of work that's been increasingly automated, you can use your medium charge brain to do that and then the final brain state is high charge this is where we really have to think you really have to use that two percent prefrontal cortex to be thinking about what we're doing so we call the sort of jobs that you do with your medium charge brain freezing ice cubes so they're easy quick jobs to do we call the jobs that you do with your high charge brain building ice sculptures so they're they're bits of work that you build up over a period of time so in any 24-hour period we're going to spend some time doing recharge, we're going to spend some time in our medium charge brain. We're going to ideally spend some some time in our high charge brain. Now there's an optimal relationship between those brain states. And it's a bit like a pyramid. In any 24 hour period, we're going to spend most of the time in the, or most of the three out of the three uh, states in the recharge brain state. So that includes sleep. So that's going to be the basis of the pyramid. We're going to spend the second amount, most amount of time in the medium charge brain state. Um, 
So that's where we can do busy, busy work in and out of work. And we're going to spend the least amount of time in the high charge brain state. This high charge brain state is a scarce cognitive resource. And if we don't get the, the recharge right, we're going to struggle to do any work in the high charge brain state. So it's about working out what are the optimal numbers for you in each brain state and creating a set of habits that allow you to consistently achieve those steps. It's a fascinating way to look at your day, John. I'm just thinking from my background as a PE teacher and a maths teacher, we talked about aerobic and anaerobic, and you can go all day anaerobic because that's just breathing in the air that you need. But anaerobic, you'll know this very well, where you're out of breath because you're pushing your body beyond the oxygen it can take in. So I guess in that highly charged state, you can only go for so long before you burn out. Yeah, it's a scarce cognitive resource. Yes. Many people are not even getting into that high charge state every day. Yeah that's what you're going to get valued for doing because all the busy work that you do every day someone is automating that so i'm not aware of I, I know that for example um well I, I know there's lots of disruptive accountancy technologies in in other sectors there are entire firms like law firms being set up which are just disruptor firms they are taking all those contracts solicitors charge a fortune for just saying they're free take it what used to take a huge amount of brain power can now be done with a, a search bot or something like that in an instant exactly so this is the challenge that we face and so I've built my routines, my habits. So routines are just habits plugged together to give me the best chance every day of doing four to five hours worth of high charge work. And I know that I've got it right when I can do four to five hours of high charge work on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, on a Friday. I'll take a full day off and I'll do some, some more on a, on a Sunday. So I've built my entire yeah, set of habits around. That's my big goal. And that's what the Habit Mechanic book shows you how to do. And I know that by optimizing my habits around those brain states, I save at least one hour every day. So I spend one less hour doing unhelpful things, whether that's speaking to myself negatively, whether it's making le less mistakes, I have to repeat the work again. Now, these are things that people, we, we don't, our brain doesn't, doesn't register very well. When I make a mistake, I've got to repeat the work at least twice. So I've got to spend at least twice as much time doing the same job. But it's probably going to have a knock-on effect for someone else as well. So how much time is being wasted in firms by one person making a mistake because they're not thinking properly? And I know that for some types of accountants, they're billed by the hour. Some bill by it in 10-minute blocks. So if you can save at least one hour per day, if you can scale that into your team, that's going to give you a competitive advantage. Well, we'll do a second interview, John, and dip into some of the techniques we can use to do that. But... Uh, just in closing this feature, accountants tell us they are exhausted, they are overloaded, they are super busy, they are fatigued, they don't have enough time to do all the work that they need to do with ever demanding clients and mastery of the technology. So just in closing this, give them a little bit of hope for the fact that this stuff is coachable, it is trainable, they can get better, they can ease out of this fatigue. Yeah, and I think... With any change we want to make, we've got to look at it on a continuum. So if we think about, I'm knackered, I'm fatigued, I can't get out of bed, that's one end of the continuum. So every 24-hour period, I spend in bed, not being able to do anything. The other end of the continuum is, I have got my habits absolutely nailed. I'm doing as well as I possibly can be. I'm getting my four to five hours of high charging every day. So you're somewhere on the continuum. Wherever you are on the continuum, you can learn to take a small step in the right direction. And ultimately to do that, it's going to be learning how to build new habits. Whatever, um, we often think of habits as something that we have or we don't have. Habits are responsible for wherever you are right now because they drive everything that you think and do. So if you're, if you, if you're feeling fatigued and burned out, your habits are driving those behaviors. So brains run your business and habits run brains. And it's harder than ever to get 
your your brains working well to get really good habits. This is what we need to understand. It's fascinating stuff, John. Uh, for people listening that want to get hold of the habit mechanic, where's a good place for them to go and find out more? You can go onto Amazon or any uh, major book retailer. Um, it's an audible, physical book, ebook. If you want to go onto our, if you want to learn more about our more in-depth services, go to Tougher Minds co.uk um, we do coaching webinars workshops all that kind of stuff and we've also got an app called the habit mechanic university app which is absolutely free and we have a community where we're all working on ourselves every day and supporting each other helping each other to build tiny new helpful habits well that's been fascinating dr john finn the habit mechanic thanks so much for your time and we'll look into part two of this interview to find out what we can do to create really good sustainable habits for our work performance thank you very much improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Sponsored by Dext.